Our scripture reading today comes from the book of James. We'll be looking at James 1, verses 2 through 8. But as we come to listen to the reading and to the preaching of God's word, let's ask for God's blessing upon them. Would you pray with me? Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me for a minute. Welcome. Good to see y'all. Have y'all ever gone to uh, a dollar store and gotten a toy? Uh, or, or maybe you went to an arcade and you turned in your tickets for a prize, like this one. That, isn't that awesome? Doesn't it? Don't you see, like when you are in that kind of situation, you see that sword or that dart gun and, and you get kind of excited, don't you? Like you, you feel some joy when you put your money down or the guy checks to see if you actually have enough tickets to get this thing and he says, yeah, you got enough for that. That feeling that you get, that, that's, a, that's a little bit of joy, right? Because that thing that you are excited about is, is suddenly yours. And that's a good feeling, that little bit of joy. It only lasts for a little while, though, doesn't it? Because you get home and that toy breaks, like the second time you use it. I can't tell you how many of these swords have been through our house. Right, boys? Yeah. A few. Or, or maybe it doesn't break, but after an hour or so, you might just move on to play with something else because that little toy got a little boring. Little toys like this have a way of only lasting a little while. Now, bigger things bring bigger joy, right? Going on a lunch date with mom and dad, like that's pretty solid, right? Uh, or taking a family trip to see your grandparents, or beating your dad at Uno. The, those, are, those are pretty solid joys, right? Uh, but, but still, those, those bigger joys, they don't disappear as quickly, but still, memories fade, feelings 
fade, especially when it's life with people that you love. It's, it's kind of complicated sometimes, right? Hard things in our family make us feel sad. Now, it's not wrong to enjoy these little joys of, of toys or bigger joys of family trips and game nights. God gives us good things like that, both big and small, to enjoy in this life. But there is a lesson to learn from those joys that just kind of disappear. All those other joys, even the deepest, longest-lasting joys, they are pointing us past themselves to the massive, forever joy of knowing the God who made us and loves us. Knowing him and trusting in his generosity towards us gives us a joy that lasts even through hardship, even through pain, because he is the one over it all. And so fierce and so steady is his love that even when we were looking for joy in little things, he sent joy himself to come and rescue us. That's who Jesus is. He is joy himself. By his blood, Jesus gives us the joy of being with him. So I want you guys to enjoy the good things in this life, big and small, but don't try to find ultimate joy, the biggest joys in them. You, you won't find that in the arcade or even by beating your dad or mom in Monopoly. Because joy himself has found us, though, even through the hardest moments of this life. That's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, guys, thanks. You can go back. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, the book of James is structured around a very simple phrase, God is one. And it's the key to understanding the whole book. The, what James is saying is that because God is one, therefore you should be one. You should be undivided. There's, there's no room for having a trying to hold on to two great loves of your life because there's only one God. Because God is one, you should be singular in your devotion. And today, we'll see that those who are wholly devoted to God rejoice in God in suffering. But that if we are not yet spiritually mature, that we can ask God and he'll help us to grow and then also that there are severe consequences if we refuse to commit ourselves to him alone. So first, we need to look toward God and to his purposes in our sufferings. In verses two through four, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God gave the same or similar command through Paul, uh, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, Psalm 118.24, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, of course, we have the 
example of the apostles who rejoiced as they left the council and were, despite being threatened and persecuted, they were filled with joy. But we have to be careful here because this verse does not say, it does not say, don't be sad, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. A person is capable, a person is very complex and is capable of feeling all sorts of ways at one time. And so imagine a situation where you have suffered a great loss and leaving a dear friend's house, feeling lighter than when you arrived because they helped you mourn over this loss. And as you get into your car, you dread having to go to sleep and with an aching heart but you're hopeful having experienced the love of God ministered through a friend. So at one time you feel light and mournful and dreading and hopeful all at once. James is not telling us uh, to not experience pain in our trials, but it's, it's possible to experience joy at a very fundamental level while enduring incredible suffering. I don't. I don't care much for the typical distinction you hear between happiness and joy. I think they're essentially synonyms. Um, the big difference, as far as the fruit of the Spirit joy, is the fact that it is, uh, it is directed towards God, and it is, it's deep down, and it, it's foundational, even as life you know, can ebb and flow in smaller joys. Uh, novelist Andrew Claven said this about joy. The greater things you love in your life the more joy you will have. Love small things like clothes and video games and money and you'll have a little joy. Love great things like your family and your friends and the work of your hands and you'll have a lot of joy. And if ever you should learn to love the God who made you, you'll hit the jackpot and even in your inevitable griefs and sorrows, you will know the true joy of life that leads to greater joy still. At any given time, we can experience varying depths of joy or sorrow as we respond to gains and losses on various levels of our, um, the things that we treasure. But we should always have this greater joy directed at God, whose kindness for us in Christ is unchangeable, and we cannot lose his love. Even Jesus, who is the man of sorrows, who suffered more than anyone has ever suffered because he endured God's wrath for us. We're told in Hebrews 12 too that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So he had joy undergirding his existence. And we also Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, uh, he's, he tells us to do the same, to rejoice and be glad for our reward is great in heaven. When we are persecuted, uh, we're told in John 4.34 that he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So that satisfaction in his father and that joy pressed him forward through his ministry and through his great, incredible suffering. So in addition to being a man of sorrows, he was a man of joy. And of course, none of that is to deny the suffering that he went through, which was the greatest of all suffering. Uh, but just to know that in all of your suffering, there's a joy that can undergird you and support you. You too can experience joy even as you suffer under many trials. 
First James says that you can rejoice because uh, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, this perseverance, this constancy, this uh, tenacity, just clinging to Christ. And one cannot have full assurance of salvation without perseverance. This is the point of Romans 8, 15 through 17. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, that, that phrase, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that was always a very confusing thing to me. And people would present it as, oh, here's how you know you're saved. And, you know, the Spirit, right, God is a Spirit. And one of the things about spirits is you cannot perceive them by your, you know, physical senses. And so you might get pretty discouraged if you just got real quiet and you're like, okay, do I feel the Holy Spirit in there somewhere? It's not what Paul's talking about. It's in the context of suffering. And it's that cry when we go through something terrible, when we're scared, we cry out, Abba, Father. And we have these various loves in our lives and, and things that compete sometimes, unfortunately, compete with our love for God. But our faith is proven true as we suffer, as terrible things happen to us. And miraculously, by the work of the Spirit, our reflex cry is to turn to God, to cry to him for help. It's just like, you know, if some, one of these children up here had, you know, something happened and they hurt their finger, we know exactly who their parent is by who they run to at that moment. That's, that's the Abba Father cry, and that's, we see that our faith is genuine as we persevere through those difficult times. Another reason we rejoice in trials is that you, you'll see God conforming you into the image of his Son. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea of here is uh, just coming to maturity, not having any just like glaring gaps in your Christian life. It's about growing in your faith. As 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no shortcuts in the Christian life. And it's that, those trials and that fire that it causes, it, it causes our faith to be purified, just like gold, and, except our faith is much more precious, much more valuable than gold. Uh, it's like any other relationship, time, and adversity bring us together. You, you, you have a stronger marriage you, you know, as you go through various difficulties, very, you mourn together and you, you struggle together and, and you make it through to the other side and you've got this stronger marriage. And same thing with our relationship with God. We grow closer to him and that itself is a purifying effect in our life. We set aside some of those idols that want to distract us. Moving on, we're also told that if you're not yet spiritually mature, you can ask God to help you grow. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
So I'm kind of reading into this uh, discussion of wisdom. James 3, 13 through 15, you know, who is wise and understanding among you? There's just the, the general idea of spiritual maturity and being ready to lead and help other people along in the faith. You may say, well, you know, I'm reformed. I've, I've got five points of Calvinism. And of course, I don't lack wisdom. Are you kidding? Let's move on to something more relevant. Um, I, don't, I don't care how good your theology is. If you don't know what I'm talking about, about rejoicing and suffering, you lack wisdom. And I don't just mean theoretically know, but you know. You know what I'm talking about. I, I'm sure most of you do. If you are uncertain that it would be worth losing everything, if it means remaining faithful to Christ, then you lack wisdom. The reason I bring this up is because of chapter 3 and James' concern about counterfeit wisdom. Right? It's, it's possible to feel wise in all sorts of ways other than what, is, what you have to have the spirit for, right? To, to feel spiritual in ways that a human being can control. And so there's just kind of a natural personality type that wants to be the smartest in the room, that is drawn to our good, hearty theology, our big God theology that, that we have as Presbyterians. Um, and, you know, that theology is good and necessary, and I couldn't say enough positive about it, um, but it's possible to practice theology without uh, very much reality of the Spirit's work inside your life. First uh, Corinthians 12, 3, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I take that pretty literally, right? So um, you've got to have some experience of the Spirit to confess that. But good theology can be communicated by those who are only temporarily tasting the benefits of the Spirit. Good theology can be communicated by those who do not have the steadfast faith that is only produced by a truly transformative work of the Spirit. Good theology can be enjoyed and communicated by the spiritually immature. For example, in college, I bought a special CD player for my car and I, I I burned onto MP3 CDs eight years of John Piper preaching through Romans. And they were just fantastic, and they had a huge effect on my life. Uh, you know, John Piper's whole thing is that we need to desire God, we need to treasure Him in our hearts more than anything else, and that it's, it's not enough to just say you trust Him, you've got to treasure Him. And he's so fervent about it, and, and I would listen to it, and I would think, I just don't feel that. I'm, I believe the argument sounds good. I don't think he's lying. But Lord, can you help me to feel that? If I'm supposed to be treasuring you, help me to treasure you. And it, it was years down the road that I saw, I turned around and thought, well, I do, I do see what he means now. I do understand that now. But I didn't at one time. Um, at, there's kind of a temptation Let's say you, you're feeling superior to some other traditions whose theology is not as weighty, and, but you hear them talking about longing to be with Jesus, and, and you wonder, well, I don't know. I don't know if I feel that. And it's tempting to be like, well, you know, 
Presbyterians, we're not all about emotions. That's not our thing. That's, that's some of those other traditions. You know, we're, we're much more stoic. Um, but maybe, instead, we should be asking for that experience where we are, are moved by who he is. I'm not, and I'm not saying that we need to express it in the same way as anybody else. I have no issue there. But if you don't treasure him, if you don't know that he's valuable and worth it, then, then you need to ask for him to help you there. If you don't feel these trials are worth it, ask God for wisdom. If you don't think it would be worth it to be hated by your coworkers for being uh, operating with integrity, ask him for wisdom. If you're not certain you can rejoice in suffering, ask him for wisdom. If you aren't certain that it would be worth it to lose the people closest to you for God's sake, ask him for wisdom. And he will answer. Okay? He says he, he gives generously to all without reproach. Right? We, we might think ourselves pretty generous, but at a certain point, we're like, okay, it's time for you to get a job. You need, quit asking me these questions. Or quit, quit borrowing things from me. God never does that. He just gives and he gives all day long and he never gets tired. He never gets tired of you asking him for things. In fact, he enjoys it a lot. And so he gives generously. Ask him. James 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. He'll give you wisdom. Some of y'all have forgotten to ask for it. I know I can go a long time without asking sometimes, but let's not forget to ask. You know how everybody jokes. There's this, uh, that, you know, don't pray for patience. I prayed for patience one time, and everything in my life fell apart. And it's a cliche. It's like, it's ridiculous how much of us have that experience. It's also kind of, it's funny, but it's also a pretty terrible thing to say, right? Like, that was a huge hassle growing in my faith. I'm going to say, just to cut against the grain here, pray for patience even as I'm talking to you. Pray for wisdom, even as I'm talking to you. Whatever fruit of the Spirit that you've been struggling with, and maybe it just, sometimes we just get frustrated with ourselves, and then a month goes by, and we're like, I really haven't even asked God for help here. I just kind of got ashamed and just stopped, just got frustrated with myself, and that was it. Pray for it. Yes, he may answer by shaking up the other loves in your life. But we don't, want to, we don't want those to keep us from the fullness of knowing the true God. And that's kind of where we're headed with this final point. James says that there are severe consequences if we let lesser things keep us from growing in our faith. Verses 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That could be pretty discouraging, just if you don't interpret it right. Okay? I've, I've doubted almost everything in my life. Um, I've doubted my emotions. I've doubted my salvation. I've, I've doubted just about every doctrine that we hold. But I have refused to doubt God's word. That's been the place where I take those doubts. But I, I don't think he's talking about things like that. I, I find it much more helpful the way the King James renders the Greek here. It says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And this fits much better 
with the statement that this person is a double-minded man. The idea of, well, God is great. And we kind of the wave goes back and then we, well, but, you know, our career, that's something. That's really something. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, God's the best. God sure is the best. Oh, but I, I really I couldn't lose that career. That's, that's really great. That's the, that's the wave. That's the doubting. It's the uh, wavering between two opinions. This is, we should not be double-minded. We should not waver because God is one. This is like Elijah's accusation against Israel in 1 Kings 18. It says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Perhaps, you know, there's all sorts of things that might, we might waver, that might be competing with God, that we might waver with. Uh, perhaps it's our own ambition. In chapter 4, he says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So maybe you have prayed for wisdom, but maybe you prayed for it so that you could be known as the big shot, you know, somebody important in the church. You know, set all that ambition aside. Put it away. Um, be singular in mind. Repent of the thought of how it might benefit you. Uh, don't ask for wisdom so you can be somebody. Ask for wisdom and cast away that hesitation that warns, don't pray for patience. Okay, don't waver. It's worth it. Whatever you would suffer, it is worth it. As... Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffer, suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. <clears throat> so we, all those things in the light of Christ, very valuable things that he gives us, but nothing can compare to God. Without putting aside that doubt, you will receive nothing from the Lord, including salvation. Which is a pretty harsh command. I want to skip to chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, where James charges those who realize that they have been double-minded. Just read through that and make a couple comments. You know, this is a severe warning. You will receive nothing from the Lord. But James says, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He does ask a lot of us. He asks for our full heart and our full devotion. But we, we, no, no human has ever outgiven God. By, you, you can't even give a fraction, a percent of what he gives back. So he's very generous. Don't be afraid to give him everything. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Okay? If, it, if it seems like God has kind of been aloof, it's not him, it's you, right? If, if, that's your, if that is your experience, it's time for you to draw near, okay? He's been ready to embrace you. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Confess your sins. You know, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're thinking this is, this is convicting, just confess those to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
James goes on, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's very interesting. We're, those idols, those things that we've tried to find that fullness of joy in, it's time to weep over those. It's time to set him aside. It's time to cast away the thing that we thought gave us joy in order that we can receive that greater joy from the Lord. And then, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Put aside those ambitions. Put aside any thought of, of any other goal that you have to have other than to be known and loved by him. So offer them up to him, and let him, let him raise you up. Let him exalt you if he sees it if he sees fit to do that. So, in summary, let us rejoice in all circumstances, knowing that God will transform our trials for our benefits, for our benefit. If you're not yet there, ask God for wisdom. Ask him for spiritual eyes to understand these things. And repent of any conflicting loves that keeps you from saying that Christ is worth it. And because Jesus is worth more than anything we could suffer in this life, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father, you give generously to all without reproach. You give and you never grow tired of giving. And we can never repay you for your kindness to us. Yet none of your gifts are meant to satisfy us, except for the gift of yourself. We ask that you'd keep us from letting any other gifts compete with you for our affections. Let us be single-minded. Give us hearts that hold to you alone. Fill us up wherever we are lacking in the faith. Whatever it might cost us, continue the work you have begun in us. Lord, nothing can compare to the joy of knowing you and being able to serve you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.